Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So happy Mother's Day. For the next four weeks, uh, Sam, could you grab me a bottle of water back there in the fridge? Uh, For the next four weeks, we are going to be talking about barrier-breaking faith. That's why you have children. You say, hey, go do that. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) It's the only reason I had them, to mow the lawn. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I love my children. Um, She's going to throw that bottle of water at me. Um, But for the next four weeks, thank you, sweetheart. Uh, For the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about barrier-breaking faith. And I want to thank... Uh, what's his name? Shoot. I'll remember it and I'll tell you later. But I kind of took a little bit of a skeleton of his, uh, of his um, uh, thoughts to develop the sermon. But um, gosh, anyway. No. No, the video I sent you. Ah, uh, see, now you forget too, so I'm, I'm not the only one. Anyway, Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 tells us what faith is, what it looks like. It says, now faith is confidence in what, of, of what we hope, in what we hope for. So something in the future, right? Something coming. And assurance about what we do not see, right? This is what the ancients were commended for, all the people that came before these guys, right? And if you read the rest of Hebrews 11, it's a list of all our ancients, all these other people that have acted in faith, and it talks about how they acted in faith and things like that, and it's really kind of cool. So this is what the ancients were commended for, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was, it was visible. Let me say that twice. Let me read this twice. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's a little weird, right? Assurance about something you can't see, right? This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, I want to tell you a secret. Jesus didn't just come to save you and me, right? It's not, he didn't just come to save us. Jesus came to usher in to our reality right now, not just far off into the future, but right now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom reign of God. That's why he came. And we don't just get saved and sit around living in the defensive posture, like trying to be good until Jesus returns. That's not what we do as Christians. We are called to go on the offensive, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is a verse we, we quote here at, at 6 eight. the Great Commission, uh, therefore, uh, you know, Jesus has been given all his authority to go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's with us all the time as we do that, right? So we become willing participants in the kingdom building here, now, right where we are, and then even farther out and beyond like in Lebanon and Syria. Our reach extends to there. So if you think about our statements as a church, we have these three statements, our purpose, vision, and mission statements that outline this. Basically, it says purpose is to live in obedience to Jesus' teaching and command to follow Jesus. I don't know what's going on with my mic. Um, To follow Jesus. In other words, that's the spiritual formation part, right? The spiritual formation part. It's me getting close to Jesus 
soaking, marinating in him, you know, and, and, and following him, walking things out with him. Uh, and then vision is to live as Jesus did in word and deed, awakening others to their own spiritual journey with him to live as Jesus did. So this is partly like just going out and sharing the gospel, living the gospel out, things like that. Be the hands, feet, and voice. Uh, uh, we got to fix this. Nothing. Uh, the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in the Eastern mainline and beyond. And in other words, to manifest Jesus, right? To manifest Jesus. So uh, all of those, all of those three statements exude the two things that we want to see our church, uh, what, uh, what, the two things we want to see happen in our church at, here at 6-8. In other words, spiritual formation of the believer leading to evangelization. Uh, that's a big word. It's like, that's not a very popular word either. But spiritual formation leading to evangelization. In other words, it's Romans fifteen thirteen that we talked about last week and we've talked about many times here is that we are so filled up with Christ that where Jesus just bubbles up from my toes out of the top of my head, out of my fingertips, that he overflows to the people around me, that I love him so much, that I'm so overjoyed and I'm finding so much freedom with Jesus that I can't help but to tell you about it right? That's really what that means. And so the question is, how do we get to the next level of faith here at 6-8? A faith which breaks barriers to others hearing the gospel and truly grows us into being the church that God longs for us to be. Radical trust in God to create something out of nothing. Hebrews 11, right? Something out of nothing, defining what a new level of faith looks like for our church, which crushes barriers and defies expectations. Going beyond what we see right here and now, bringing hopeful expectation of what God will do in the future through this church and in this church. Here's a secret. All pastors want their churches to grow. All pastors, we all want our churches to grow, but not for the same reasons that other organizational leaders want growth, which is either usually for power or fiscal reasons, right? We just simply want more people to know Jesus. That's it. That's the big secret, right? We just want more people to know Jesus and not just to grow in number. We want people to grow in depth. We don't want it to be a mile wide and an inch deep. We want it to be 100,000 miles wide and, and hundreds of miles deep. Like, we just want more and more of Jesus, right? Think about it. Trees don't, you know, just grow straight up, right? They don't. If they did, they would just be spindly little stick things that would blow over in the wind, right? But they grow up and out and down, don't they? Roots go farther down into the soil, soaking up nutrients, soaking up water to feed themselves and adding yearly rings to their girth so that, uh, to accommodate the height and, 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 and to stand up against the wind, growing up and out with more branches and more fruit for people to choose from and pick from. And that's the image we want for our church. That's the image we want for our church. Rooted in Jesus. Right? Rooted deeply in Jesus, going deeper in order that Jesus uh, might grow our church for the sake of his glory among the nations, among all the people around us. More people 
assimilated into God's kingdom of peace, experiencing freedom and his, and his peaceful reign and assimilated into the healthy community of the church, in, in, into a healthy, vibrant church, a good church, which I think we are. You guys are great people. I like you. <laughs> I don't just love you. I actually like you. It's more important to be liked than loved, right? Not really true, but it feels that way. I am a, a messy man, uh, if you know me. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You look at my bedroom. My side's a mess. My wife's side's like all clean. <clears throat> and every once in a while, she just gets frustrated and kicks all my clothes into the corner, you know. But I'm sorry. But I have to search to find when I need them, right? I, uh, which should just be in their place, but they aren't. They aren't there. You know, when I go to look for them, it's a, it's a waste of time and hinders what I'm doing when I have to go searching for things. Instead of just finding something in a folder, in a file someplace, I have to sift through piles of paper on my desk and it wastes much needed time. It's just not very good. But miraculously, I have learned that if I just let it go long enough and I go away for a day or two without my wife, that it all gets cleaned up. Everything gets put in order. It really does. I've asked my wife if she's seen the papers on my desk, like shuffling around themselves or my clothes folding themselves and putting themselves in the drawer, but she hasn't seen that. So I figure it must happen while she's asleep. It's amazing. (laughs) But that mess stands in the way of growth and progress in my life. It needs to be sorted out. It needs to be put in order. And I've learned to... Uh, I'm to get rid of my phone. Uh, I've, I've, I've learned um, to... to uh, I've had to learn, actually, to, to readjust, right? How I do things as my responsibilities grow and get larger in my life, to be more organized. I have to. I'm forced to, right? Sometimes what used to work for me doesn't anymore, and I have to readjust myself. I have to make changes. And the same is true with the church. We we address underlying issues as we grow, learning to do things differently, which fosters growth, which actually brings with it a faith factor, a faith factor in, in walking out church. My leadership has transitioned over the years, and it will continue to do so as we grow as a church. People, uh, though, struggle through growth barriers, don't they? They really do struggle with it sometimes. Transition isn't always easy, right? And we must walk through it in faith sometimes, or all the time, actually. And ministry... Uh, is by nature transitional. It's always tenuous. It's, 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 it's in flux. It's organic. It's, it deals with people. It's always, you, you never get to settle in ministry. You might have like moments where it's kind of easier, but it really never settles. Jesus comes back. You know, we're in this, right? And it's, it's, it's in that transitional nature of ministry, we know that faith is constantly being challenged to grow stronger and deeper and wider, believing in and hoping for something we've not yet seen yet. As we grow, we've got to remember Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Growth and transition demand a new level of faith in us, right? And that faith 
has to begin with leadership. I can't expect you to be deepening in your faith if I'm not willing to go there first as a leader, right? I have to model this, right? And all of us have to walk in faith as we we, we, we build this church and see it reach our community, transitioning to new stages of church life as we do, believing God that our church can, can grow through barriers, that even internal personal barriers, believing he can take us further into uh, new things for the, for the sake of his, his glory. He's building this. He's building this church, this 6-8, this local body of believers. He's building this, and we need to follow. The disciples were always challenged in this way. Jesus often warned, he's like, oh, you have little faith, right? We might translate that, you know, just loosely to say, oh, you who need to grow in your faith, right? Oh, you have little faith. It's like he's kind of frustrated with them at times. Matthew 6.30 talks about um, uh, our faith and trusting that takes care of all of our physical needs, the flowers and the birds and blah, 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 and all that stuff. In 826, in the midst of the storm on the boat, Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the waves and the wind and it was completely calm. In 1431, when Peter began to sink after walking on the water, you remember that story, Jesus, call me out, and I can, I'll come out to you. And he starts to walk in the water, and he's actually doing it. And then he gets all crazy and forgets and takes his eyes off of Christ, and he sinks, right? And immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand, and he caught him. He said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You were doing so well. In 16.8, Jesus reminds the disciples of how he fed thousands with very little. And he said to them, you have little faith. Why are you talking about... Uh, among yourselves about having no bread. Don't you know what I've done already? 17.20, he claimed, truly I, tell you, uh, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Do we believe these things? Because all of these teach and urge towards a life of faith and of trust in what God can accomplish in the world through us and in us. There is something clearly going on in the scriptures, in the Bible, concerning faith and believing that God can do great things. And he will do great things. And our first step is prayer. Now, you might say, oh, it's always the that's always the answer, isn't it? Like, it's so simple just to say, pray about it. Well, I'm not just, you know, I, I, our first step is prayer that God will do great things for our church and that we believe it. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about just defensive prayer or prayer when things get bad, like, oh, get me out of this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about offensive prayer, like, like leaning into life prayer. It's a different kind of a prayer, right? Because, uh, and, and, you know, if we can, do this and, and, and believe what God can do in our church and through our church. You know, we, we believe this because it's his call and his promise. He's already said it. We know that from scripture, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? We know that he's called us to go and do these things. He's no, we know that he's promised to be with us in it. It's, it is just simply taking Jesus at his word, at his word. And in faith, we can pray and we can believe God is going to do something great and that we can participate in it. 
We can be involved in it. For the last two weeks, we talked about one aspect of our faith where we need to grow, and that, you know, that is our finances in, in relate, relation to God. And we said God owns all of us. We've, be, we've moved from being slaves to sin to slaves of righteousness, right? Stewards of his resources. God has every right to expect us to be generous with the resources he's entrusted to our care. Every right. He's called people to tithe at least 10% to his local church. God's people have always needed to evaluate whether or not they're doing that. And it's a spiritual endeavor. It is not just, you know, asking for money. It's a spiritual endeavor which deepens and widens and roots our faith more deeply in Jesus. My faith gets stronger when I give generously. And I can see what God does. We'd never allow our children to go hungry while we're feeding somebody else down the street. Um, but God's people have always, you know, sort of had that struggle, right? Because that's often the practice when it comes to church giving. If we tie to pet favorite projects disconnected, disconnected from our local uh, sphere of ministry, our own local body only gets the leftovers. It's always a kind of a struggle. Or we don't simply give to the general budget because we don't trust. You know, I don't want to give to the general budget. I'll wait till something comes up that I want to give to, right? All the while leadership sits in meetings and says, I wish we could do that. I wish we could do that wonderful, great thing out there, but we don't have the money. Instead of saying out of abundance, man, what are we going to do with this overflow? Let's do something else wonderful. Let's bless this community so people will know Jesus. Some have never given tithe out of never being taught the necessity of it. Of it. You know, that's understandable. Or out of, but some out of a preconceived notion born out of some negative experience in, in another church maybe or, um, or, or out of something somebody else has said negatively about the church won't, won't write that check, won't make that, that step into that. Some have given a meager amount and that's their first step and they need to add on to that and, be, and, and believe and go farther in it right? Developing their faith in this. John Wimber, Martin Luther, Billy Graham, and and any other church leader out there will tell you that spiritual growth is hindered if we don't conform ourselves to God's call in this area. And I am unashamed to say that. Unashamed. Because Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. We all know it. To not give to our local church communicates distrust of others, distrust of leadership, distrust of the vision of the church, and the vision of the church is God-given. I didn't make it up. It reveals that we don't see the spiritual nature of money given to only support things disconnected from the local context is to misunderstand that our resources are intimately tied to the boots-on-the-ground work right here in the Eastern Main Line. It could reveal a greater trust in money than, that, we should ha- that, we, that we have and, and a disobedience in answering our call to do the ministry here. Because we write a check and we figure, I, I'm released. I don't have to do anything, right? We, so we abdicate our role of actually doing ministry where we're called, right here with our neighbors. 
we might think writing a check is good enough, and many times it is. You know, in some cases, I don't live in Lebanon. I don't live in Syria, and they do need funding, and we should write that check and all that kind of stuff. I'm very happy to send that check. That's not what I'm talking about. But God, it's because God commands so much more of us, and actually, he commands everything of us, everything, 110% of me. And that as we are going about life, we are making disciples right where we are, which takes our time, and it takes our talent, and it takes our treasure. So it's not just about money. It's about all three of those things. We may have adopted a negative attitude on this issue when, when the church brings it up, saying, you know, churches are always asking for money. Naive statement, by the way. Just a naive statement. Because we've not considered that maybe uh, they've, they've had to ask. They've been forced to ask, right? Since people are disobedient, to the Lord in this issue, large, and we, we saw the statistics two weeks ago. It, we are disobedient in it. Not, I'm not like pointing at you. I don't know where you are with it, but the church as a whole, we said gives like what was it, two percent? That's crazy. Twenty percent of Christians don't give anything at all. Remember those statistics? We are disobedient in it. Don't don't get upset with me just because I say that, right? I'm just pointing out a fact. And if, you know, if, if all Christians were obedient in this, this, this matter, if they had faith in, in this issue of finances, we'd never had, church would never have to ask about money. They'd, all they'd have to ask is, what do we do with it? Right? So we blame churches for asking when the problem really lies with us. When we could be overflowing the blessing of Christ in very practical ways and very freely, the church is off as hamstrung, though, in its ability, given these very well-crafted satanic lies woven into the fabric of our souls. Those are untruths that we need to push away and claim truth over them, right? You know, somebody might say that, well, God, you know, we don't need big things, right? Well, amen. We don't really, right? God can do great things through small things, right? Small things. Remember Judges 7 and how he diminished Gideon's army smaller and smaller to defeat the Midianites. You remember that story? You know, of course we remember that story. But that wasn't prescriptive of the church. It was to teach a different uh, or a certain lesson that, that God wants true followers and, and, and God can do great things through a few people. Amen to that. But to adopt the attitude that it's more godly to stay small it wasn't the goal of the story. Not at all. Not at all. I'm surprised that people even interpret it that way, and they do sometimes. In essence, the gospel teaches differently but not contradictory to Gideon's story. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again, right? Gideon's story is an encouragement to a small church that God wants to and can do wonderful, powerful, great things through them and in them. But it in no way teaches that God doesn't want us to grow. He doesn't want us to reach our community, right? The great things he does are always to the end of growing the depth and the girth and the height of his church for the sake of his glory in very physical and spiritual and emotional ways. God is about building his church. So we strive for faithfulness and fruitfulness. 
right? Faithfulness and fruitfulness, they go hand in hand. You can't separate them. We don't want to be fruitful without being faithful. And we can't be faithful to God's call of the church without being fruitful. It's just they go together. One can't happen without the other. We want to live in faithful expectation and practice uh, towards that which we may not be able to see as of yet. Ed Stetzer, that is his name. That's his name. See how, see how my mind works? It's like the dog and what is it? Up? Squirrel. Um, Ed Stetzer. Thank you, Ed. Um, <laughs> For instance, in things like budgeting, we need to take risk. Not irresponsible risk, not crazy, willy-nilly irresponsible risk, but manageable, faith-stretching risk. And we do that. And in that faithful endeavor, we need to acknowledge that there is spiritual warfare in the church. We need to know that, always. Now, remember, opposition or disagreement within the church aren't necessarily spiritual warfare. They're not. But they can lead to spiritual warfare. So we have to guard ourselves in church interactions for, uh, with, uh, against carnal opposition where we just root ourselves in and we're, we're being difficult. Remember, Ephesians 6.12 says that our battle isn't against people but rather against the spiritual forces of evil out there. It's, ex- it's essential to acknowledge spiritual warfare evident in a world which is in rebellion against God. But we all also have to remember that we're the rebellion against the rebellion. And with that, brings spiritual warfare at times. So we need to take faithful steps, personally and congregationally, as a body sometimes, right? Personally, we're moving into a new stage of ministry in this church, a new stage of church life for us. Transition is unnerving. You know, when churches get bigger, people start to say, I don't like it anymore. I don't know anybody. Big deal. You don't have to know everybody. Find your crowd. You know, there's nothing wrong with growth. It's good. It's good. It means more and more people. Be happy that the Holy Spirit is extending the kingdom of God to more and more people, right? You know, churches in the world are typically 100 people or below. You know, and and growth brings transition, which is difficult for some people. And and so you need to be praying about your heart as as things change in 6-8, because they are changing. You know, pray for our... uh, our prayer focal points, you know, that we have on these little cards, there's some up here, and I can print new ones, but seven days a week we're asking people to be praying for our church because prayer is powerful. It does change us. It does do something in us. It does do something in our church, right? And we need you guys to be praying about you and about the church, right? Realize that you might have feelings arise as church happens and grows, but feelings aren't necessarily facts. They're not necessarily true. And by the way, we conform our will to God's will, which means our feelings come under the reign of Christ's truth and his call. In America right now, feeling is king. In Christian theology, it is not. Feelings come under the self-control of the believer who is under the, the ministry of the Spirit. And that's the way that we want to live our lives, right? 
In all practicality, when you apply Romans 12, 1 and 2, when you submit yourself and you are no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, but you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, and all that kind of stuff, you know, when we apply that in transition, we know that God is transforming us as we grow deeper and broader and higher in Christ. We never stop welcoming others. We never stop sharing our faith, given it is the call and the essence of Jesus in life to do so, right? Ministry never stops. It never stops. It's always morphing before us. It's always changing. Praise God. Never gets boring. For an ADHD guy like me, that's the perfect, I'm in the perfect job, right? (laughs) You guys are never boring. Never boring. Now, corporately, there are three faith factors which govern transition and revitalizing churches. You know, like churches that are seeming on on the path to death and then some guy comes in or some woman comes in and they revitalize it, right? They, they bring, they breathe life back into it through their good leadership or whatever it is that, uh, so there are three faith factors which govern, uh, transition in these churches. And, and these three factors can actually be applied to a growing church as well. And we got to remember that leadership has to lead spiritually first in all of this. Leadership has to go before people and calling them into it, right? And I hope I'm doing that well. And I hope our leadership here is doing that well, right? But firstly, um, you know, in, when, they're, when they're finding new, new growth and, and all this stuff, they experience a renewed belief in Jesus Christ and the mission of the church. And I think that's happening here. I'm hearing more and more about how people are being transformed by the Spirit of God, that they are being challenged and joyfully convicted in in the Spirit, that how they they are seeing the Word of God apply to their heart and their life, and they're seeing the gospel as really like, man, this is everything for me. And if you haven't noticed, I don't think that there's been one sermon in the past eight months that I haven't quoted Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You're going to get sick of hearing it, but man, you need to memorize it. It is the, it is the call of the church. Amen. Amen. Secondly, they experience a renewed attitude for servanthood within their, with, with their time, their talent, and their treasure. So no longer are they just like thinking about self, but they're thinking about the kingdom. And suddenly they're making uh, decisions about their time, decisions, decisions about how, what they have as a skill set, and decisions about their resources to build the kingdom of God. And that's exciting. It's a total turnaround, right? Church ceases to become a consumer-driven thing for people. And they, they want to come and they want to serve and they want to love people and they want to share the gospel and they want to see other people change. And they get excited when something else happens in your life. And thirdly, they develop a more strategic prayer effort. And again, listen to that, a strategic prayer effort. Instead of just being on the defensive in prayer, they go on the offensive. They, they, they trust God can do something that they've not yet seen and to pray to that end. And leadership must be spiritually minded in all this, sharing how the word is governing them and, and transforming them and where they've been sharing their faith and with whom and who, who are they in a discipleship relationship with and, and modeling all this with the hopes of transference is the goal. You know, am I 
spending time with people? Am I leading people closer to Jesus? Am I allowing them to do the same thing to me? Am I open to being known and knowing others? Am I walking my faith out in community with other people? That's important. And, you know, in, in, in growth and transition, this means sometimes people shift around. You know, their, their positions shift around. Maybe they need rest from one position and they need to find something else. Or they just find they're in a better fit someplace else. You know, when you're, when you're in, a, in, in the beginnings of a church plant, and those of you who were here from the beginning remember this, it's all hands on deck. You know, you can't say, well, I don't like doing that. No, dude, you got to do it. Like, it's, it's like, you know, the, you had no choice. You had no choice. But as you grow in number and size, suddenly you have different avenues. Like Albert was just telling me this morning, he's like, I love doing worship. Like he plays the drums and I love doing finance stuff in the church. He goes, Monday nights when that class is done, because he leads our financial peace class. He said, I just am so energized. See, Albert's found his place. He's found his thing. That's what I want for all of us. Amen. Right? Uh, where am I? <laughs> Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. And we want to be pliable in his hands as he does that, right? We really want to be, you know, just given over into his hands. So what we see is that barrier-breaking faith is reality and proof. Barrier-breaking faith is reality and proof, right? Verse 1 of Hebrews 11 shows us both the acts of faith and the effects of faith as well, how it operates, what it produces. And, and faith actively, as we see, believes the promises of God, believes the testimony of God. Real faith does. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that, that wise people live by promise and not by explanation, Right? Wise people live by promise and not by explanation. The person not truly living in faith demands God explain everything to them before they'll move and before they'll do anything. And that's not really faith. That's not trust. When your dad says, I'll be there, don't worry about it. Somebody told me a story this week. It was a great story. It might have been Chuck. I forget who it was. But about this kid saying, uh, or maybe I read it, but a little kid, you know, in the dark with their dad and, you know, comes into the bedroom at night in the middle of the dark and they can't see their dad, but they know he's there and they can, they can be, they're not afraid of the dark anymore. And the kid says, dad, is your face turned towards me? And dad says, oh, kills you, right? Yeah, my face is turned towards you. Okay. All, all the kid does is believe that, right? But that settles his little soul. Do we believe God like that? John Wimber used to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K, and he, I think he's correct. <laughs> True faith holds on to the promises of God and lives out of them. It holds on to the promises and lives out of them, holding firmly to our beginning reality, providing firm ground on which to stand. As Hebrews 3.14 says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. We hold on to Jesus. Faith visualizes the unseen. It gives substance and proof to the invisible promises of God. Faith is hearing God's truth and believing it's true and then obeying it, following it. 
Secondly, barrier-breaking faith is the vehicle of salvation, isn't it? Barrier-breaking faith is the vehicle of salvation. Verse 2 shows us that it isn't for their faith the ancestors of the Hebrews received approval from God, but it was by faith, by faith, right? God uses faith as a necessary means by which we're saved, and it can't be by our works. It can't be by our personal merit as seen in Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own, not from yourselves, but it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We, we see this in, in the life of Abraham, right? It, as outlined by Paul in Romans chapter 4, it says this. Remember, Abraham and, and his wife couldn't have a baby. They were old, right? And it says, against all... I love this first line. Against all hope, Abraham, Abraham in hope believed. Listen to that. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And you're, if you're not familiar with Genesis 12 and all that, that around surrounding that passage, God was saying, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sand on the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky, like chucking stars out there. And look, look up. That's how many people are going to come from you, right? So he says, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was an old dude since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead, his wife. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Abraham, (laughs) this, this man that God just chose, just bloop, picked him up, you know, and just chose him to, to begin to build his people through. That's who Abraham was. It was just a guy that God chose. And, and he believed God and he acted on this promise, although he had no context whatsoever out there to see what that even meant or understand what that meant. He had no idea. He's called to go and live someplace else among foreign people and all this kind of stuff. And now, as a result, we have millennium, you know, millennials of people, of witnesses who, you know, behind us and around us even right now, who can testify how God has moved when they've acted in faith. So all of our excuses get you know, just they just dwindle. They get whittled down. Our excuses get whittled down with every story of a transformed life through the history of the church. Barrier-breaking faith is how God transforms something out of nothing. He transforms something out of nothing, right? Verse 3 addresses the greatest philosophical and scientific question, and that is, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Right? And I'll tell you what, I, I am an intelligent guy. I'm not saying that to be prideful. I'm not an idiot. I'm not the most intelligent guy. I, I'm humbled. <laughs> I know there are people a lot smaller than me, but I'm not a bonehead. And I believe God. I believe the creation account. I do. 
I know that sounds so stupid to some people. Yeah, by, go, call me stupid. I, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I love Jesus. I love the scriptures. And I think they are true. Where did we come from? In John eleven forty, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he turned to the, those present and he said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Dead people rising from the grave. That's kind of unintelligent to say, right? No, I believe it. I believe it. Colossians 1.16 reiterates Hebrews 11.3. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Talking about Jesus. Amen. To understand that the world was created out of nothing, formed from no pre-existent material, framed and structured uh, out of nothing, it requires faith to believe that God can create something out of nothing. And the issue is, do we live by promise or by, or by explanation? Do we live by promise or by explanation? So for our church to have barrier-breaking faith, we've got to apply a few things personally and corporately, right? Number one, we've got to remember our faith is the means by which God works in the world. Number two, we've got to believe that God makes something out of nothing, that he can, that he spoke creation into being. Just by his word, he spoke creation into being. And if he can create the world then he can create an even newer, greater reality for us and our church. He can, and he wants to. And number three, we've got to strive to actively believe the promises of God to see something come out of nothing. Personally, that might mean for you that you crucify your need for explanation that you crucify your need for explanation and you begin to trust God with your life, simply sort of following what he calls you to do and how he calls you to live. And that might mean new ways, new ways to regard your finances, your sexuality, your practice of your sexuality, your thought life, how you, who you spend your time with, Maybe you shouldn't be spending time with that woman who's not your wife, right? (laughs) These are important questions, by the way. Or what you spend your time doing, right? It may mean you reevaluate how you use your skills to glorify Jesus. In short, it will mean a difference in what you do with your time and your talent and your treasure. That's what it'll mean. It'll mean a reevaluation of your role in your local church. It's your, it's vision and, and how that's all being played out. How you can be an active part in, in this church. Are you a part of a community group? Are you in, in deeper, getting deeper into this church? Do you show up to the kingdom opportunities with all of our, our partners out there and work alongside of other people to be able to have the chance to share with them and walk with them? Daniel comes out, you know, cause he lives right down the street from, uh, uh, Normandy Park, and he, and he shows up with South Ardmore Betterment Alliance. He doesn't go to my community group. That's my community group partner, but he does so because he's right there. Amen. And he's a good gardener too, <laughs> right? 
Do you, have, you, have you made the commitment of membership? Have you, have you been baptized? We're going to have a baptism service June 30, I think it, I think it is. And I, you know, I want to baptize. If you've never been baptized, I want to walk, walk that through with you. And I want, have you made that outward statement to everybody else around you? Have you invited people to that, to that moment and said, I am the follower of Jesus. I have was spiritually dead. Now I'm raised to life in Christ. It's a great way to witness to people. Do you pray for other people when they need it? We birth a small bird, don't we, when we think about doing that, right? Do you, like, when you're out of the store and somebody says, man, like, oh, I've got, like, you know, my, my wife is leaving me, blah, blah, blah. Pray for the person. Say, can I pray for you right now? Would you mind if I just prayed blessing over your heart right now? Pray for him on the spot. If you, if you have not gotten used to praying out loud with people, take the step. Utter one little thing in a safe place, in a community group, in, 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 in the, come to the prayer room. And, you know, just pray one little sentence out loud. Because we are called to use these tools. Power evangelism. Praying into the lives of people. Do you serve in our children's ministry? You realize we've got 40 kids under 10 years old in this church? It's like half of you. Right? It's craziness. Craziness. And we need, we need these kids to be built up in the Lord. Really? We really need people to, to uh, man up there. Greet. Do you greet at the door? Do you do this, the sound or the slides? You know, look at Todd back there. He's just having a blast running those slides. He's having a great time, right? Whatever is needed. All these things aren't just jobs. They're very important things. They are, they are things that all come together to, to develop the kingdom of God, to, to see that this thing goes forward, right? And what you'll find is that if you can practice Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you can submit yourself to the Lord and be transformed by the Spirit, that things will actually become clearer for you, that it won't matter as much that you don't know the answers since you can trust that your father does. Dad, is your face facing me or is your face turned towards me? Yes, son, it is. You know, corporately, so that's personally, corporately, we just celebrated 10 years. What does God want this church to look like in the next 10 years? What's he want to do, right? How does he, how, you know, how does he want us to get there? What does he want us to do? How, you know, we want to pray that. How do we pray that into reality? How do we, we really move into that, lean into it? And this is where imaginative prayer comes into play. And I want to practice that a little bit with you guys today. There's a mic over here. It is on and it is open. You're welcome to come up to this mic uh, at any time during this time. But I want to spend a few minutes in silence before we start. I want to open us up with a short little prayer and then give us some silence so that we can be listening to the Holy Spirit and hearing what he would give us. Maybe there's an image. Maybe there's a story. Maybe there's a quote. Maybe there's a verse that, that the Holy Spirit gives you about this church and where we're going in the future. Lean into what we can't see yet. Let's lean into the hope that we have as a church, right? You know, this week I told Rachel, because she's the prayer coordinator um, about this, that I was going to be doing this. She's kind of upset because she's down in the children's ministry right now. But uh, I said, you know, I was going to be doing this. And she goes, oh, that is so crazy. Jason, I was praying about our church today. And I, and I heard God say, I'm going to read this. said, I heard God say, follow me. And then I saw an image of a man beckoning down a trail and, th- and through some bushes to where I couldn't see. 
And I heard God say, I'm taking you somewhere unseen, a secret place. And then it was impressed on me that as a church, we must submit to the Lord's leading, even if it's being blind. Isn't that the weirdest thing that Rachel could hear when I'm preaching this sermon? Tell me that's not an encouragement. So let's faithfully pray these things into being. If you feel God is giving you something, an imaginative vision for this church or a verse or anything, just come on up to the mic and, and, and share it and then prayerfully pray that over our church. Let me, let me get us going and then we're going um, we're, we're to give you a number of minutes to do this. Holy Spirit, I, I, I ask that you would come right now. That you would hammer out this vision. I, I get that image of sort of, of a forge that you've got us in, in the fire and then you're pulling us back out and you're hammering us into shape. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and speak to your people right now. We want to hear you. We want to hear you. I had this... <laughs> this was a couple months ago, but I was just worshiping and praying and just... Um, just, I guess, like dreaming with the Lord, and um, he has just burdened my heart so deeply and greatly for the nations and for um, the people, his missionaries, who he has sent out um, to countries that um, don't have established churches, the persecuted church, um, that have people that don't even have access to a follower of Jesus. Um, And so I was just worshiping and praying with him, and um, you know, he he just showed me like a small group of people praying <laughs> regularly for these people in our church. And I was just like, Lord, I would love to see that. Um, and I just first saw like a small group of people. Um, and then he just expanded that vision and he showed me every single one of you <laughs> sitting in this room um, here like half an hour before church, like a people, a whole church, like just so burdened and on fire um, for God's purpose in this world that we would come half hour before church just to meet with him and one another and lift our missionaries um, and lift all those people up in prayer. So thank you, God, for that. <laughs> We had, um, we, uh, this week we were sent the email to pray about this, and um, God gave me a verse. And uh, then this morning as I'm listening to, da- to J- Jason bring this up again, I s- felt like God said, are you willing to change what you're going to say? And I said, yes, Lord, what do you want to say? And he gave me this verse. Um, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I felt like God was saying, in order to move forward, you must forgive. So if there are people in your life that you have not forgiven, take time to forgive. If you have not forgiven yourself for something, take time to forgive yourself. So Lord, we're just coming before you right now. And we're asking for you to, to 
walk us through forgiveness, forgiveness for others, forgiveness for ourselves. Lord, if there is anything we, anyone we are holding a grudge against, I ask that you would just open our hearts to receive forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. And so I'm also going to share the other one. Um, I asked Kara to come up because I wanted a, a living example of this. And, um, of course, Kara, the baby, is, is um, a little fussy. And um, so, hold on just a second. Um, Sorry, people. And this is from Jeremiah 31, 13. I'm sorry, Isaiah 66, 13. And it says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you. And you will be comfort, comforted. So I wanted to show you a living example of how God will comfort you. So even in these changes, even in, in your, your unforgiveness, God wants to comfort you. God wants to comfort you as a child, as a mother comforts her child. Feel God's love for you, that Kara loves her little baby, Asher. She will comfort him no matter how inconvenient it is, no matter where he is, no matter anything. God is willing to comfort each one of you in whatever situation you find yourself. Come to him and be comforted. Good morning. Um, The last few weeks have been a, an enormous challenge in my life, and um, through enormous challenge becomes great possibility. And so one of the things I've been asking through it all is, Lord, what are you teaching me through this and teaching me through the challenge? And um, he has humbled me. He has humbled me, and he's told me that I can do all things in him who gives me strength. He has given me that strength to to move on. But he's also showed me the joys in my life. And one of the joys and the reason why today was so appropriate to become a member was because of this church and the way the church has touched my life and the people here who have had my back. And so I am truly blessed, and I just couldn't be thankful enough to all of you. So thank you. I just wanted to share, um, Kristen has rheumatoid arthritis, and last night her thumb locked up, and as we were contemplating, you know, the trip to the ER and child care and all that, we just, myself and the boys all prayed, and then her, her thumb was better, and uh, we were just so, so thankful. Mm, amen. 
Amen. I, I didn't realize I was so windy. So I, if you guys would like to email me anything you feel like you're hearing from the Lord this week, I would love to hear them, and I'll share them in some way, shape, or form, either through email or in the newsletter or, or anything like that. Um, but we can, you want to say something? Go ahead. Oh, prayer. Uh, we're going to, go ahead. Go ahead.